Former UNLV quarterback and current voice of the Rebels on radio, Caleb Herring is live right now on Cofield and Company. All right, here we go. Four o'clock hours here. Willie, Damon, Caleb Herring is on the line with us. Caleb, we were out of practice today for UNLV football. And by the way, we got to get some uh, some Nevada Wolfpack coverage coming up here a little later in the week with uh, Nevada Sportsnet. We'll have uh, some of the folks on from there the next couple weeks and get you ready for the season with the Wolfpack. But uh, we've been out of football camp uh, in town for the last couple of weeks. Uh, if people aren't aware, in Vegas and in northern Nevada, season opens up here. Week zero. Week zero. Ten days away. It's incredible. You feeling it, Caleb? You feeling <laughs> it being out at all these practices that uh, the urgency is there? Uh, for the the Rebels, they don't open up until September 2nd. But, man, it comes quick here down the stretch, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I think we're at that, we're at that point where it's like rapid fire. You know, like the season's just around the corner. You know, teams that are week zero, it's really just around the corner. So um, it's an exciting time. I think camp's winding down to the point where we're seeing the reps are getting more tight and more quality reps. And um, maybe the dev chart for us isn't completely set yet, but we're starting to feel the urgency around it. You know, season tickets and things like that. Ticket sales are ramping up. Um, just the buzz around communities in College Town everywhere is, is, is really getting ramped up. And um, it's exciting to see college football now back in the ESPN news cycle, if that's any indication that uh, things are right around the corner. So it's an awesome time. I'm definitely excited for it as a college football fan. And as a former UNLV Rebel, I'm excited for what this new season will hold. So, Caleb, a lot that I am hearing, I, I've been out of town, so I, I, I've been catching up with some of the media members and just trying to catch up a little bit here and there. Um, the biggest take that I'm getting from a lot of the guys is, hey, what's going on out there? And they said, it feels, and this is not a slap in the face to Tony Sanchez or Marcus Royal, but the way they're saying it is, they feel the SEC vibe. It feels like they're at a college football camp. Like, like even the environment and the culture. We've heard that the last two regimes, culture change. But it feels like game day is going to pull up at some point. Is that is that yeah, your take I, on it? I, I think you know. There's always talks of the culture being different, and, and different is not always bad. I think it's that's that's kind of the the sentiment when you start talking about what it feels like now compared to previous years but it's just different I, I think there was an expectation I think with the uh with the hire of Barry Odom and his background and you look at some of his staff and where they've been and on uh, the brand I guess of football is is very different um and it's very new to I guess UNLV football and um I guess West Coast football to bring somebody with that SEC flavor where it's kind of a no-nonsense approach to football and um, and you can definitely hear it, I guess, out there with with the just the dialect of football that's going on. It's it's very much different. Um, and I think it's good. It's a it's a shot of energy that I think the program is ready for. I think the talent, uh, the building blocks of previous regimes is there. And there's there's definitely things aren't being thrown by the wayside. That's not what I mean by any means. Um, there's been building blocks to this point. And now it's just a different culture, different brand, I think, of football. Um, something as as superficial and as surface as this, just the fact that this is the first time in the last couple of coaching cycles that the head coach 
um, has been a defensive minded coach. And that in and of itself really brings out a different environment at a football practice and what the priorities may be. And um, subtle differences like the, the time and effort and energy in each practice that we've been out um, that's been put towards special teams and the importance of that. Those kinds of subtle differences that that bring the energy and tempo of practice to a different level where um, you can feel the difference and it's palpable. But um, the, the product on Saturday is the, the main focus now at this point. We can talk about those differences, but come Saturday, September 2nd, that's when we really get to see for the first time what the actual differences will be. So uh, there's definitely a buildup and there's definitely excitement for this new coaching staff to go out there and put it on film, um, as they say, in the football world. But um, the team is definitely excited and rallying around and, and, and thriving, I guess, in this new style and this new system. Caleb, can you talk about the uh, quarterback-center relationship? Uh, in the case of UNLV, they're rotating a couple of different centers uh, with the ones and the twos. And then we saw last night, you know, on Hard Knocks, uh, Aaron Rodgers was uh, giving a whole tutorial on how he likes the ball snap back to him. There, that is probably the most intimate relationship <laughs> for, for multiple reasons on the football field. Uh, you can't be afraid, all right, to, to get intimate in that situation, especially if we're going under center. Now, UNLV's case, there's not as much under center, I guess, as the professional ranks, but there is more, I think, uh, to that than, than we've seen, I guess, in recent years, the under center part of the game. There's definitely going to be elements of that, but um, there is a chemistry that has to be developed, whether you're in shotgun or under center with the center and the quarterback. Um, schematically, obviously, offensively, there has to be some uh, adjustments and checks that the center and the quarterback are on the same page with. But just the simple function of getting the snap back to the quarterback is something that is highly valued. Um, and you don't really notice it when it goes right, but it's yeah. one of those things that when it goes bad, it's glaring and it has disastrous results most of the time. So the less the quarterback has to think about getting the snap, um, the, the better the operations will go as a whole. And I think uh, to, to talk about Aaron Rodgers, that's one of the things that the nitpicky side of Aaron Rodgers really shines through. It's like you might think he, you know, he's being kind of a jerk about it, but I think you know, a certain level of, of jerkness, I don't know, I just made that one up, but that may be uh, relevant when it comes to things like that, those little minute details getting them right. Um, and you see when they go wrong why a quarterback may be so... Uh, so anal about those kind of things. But I think it's important for UNLV. Uh, we've seen injuries kind of derail the season um, in the case of UNLV. So working through the depth at multiple positions, including the center position on the offensive line, is, is I think important to make sure that should someone go down, the next man up understands how important and significant his role is. Once again, speaking with Caleb Hare, former UNLV quarterback and, of course, voice of the Rebs in many capacities on the broadcast. So let's let's stay there for a minute with quarterback. And and I'm thinking back to, like, 79, the one year that I got to play quarterback in Pop Warner, and I can hear Mel Shapiro, the coach, barking, you know, top hand, knuckles on the cup, center, snap the ball in the hand. If you're taught that way for a certain – at what point, from a quarterback standpoint, do you – tell your center here's how I like it because you're taught from a certain age through Pop Warner through high school how to snap the ball at what point did you sort of what was your comfort zone and how you wanted the ball delivered when you were actually under center I think the point where you can start making that demand I guess is when you when you're the guy yeah. I think there you have to be unquestioned the guy and I think you know in the case of hard knocks Aaron Rodgers is the guy so if you're the center you're going to do what he tells you to do right um, I don't think many quarterbacks get to that point. I think you get to a point where it's like kind of a, a communication and understanding, a compromise, if you will, on what's comfortable and what's not. 
Um, and I know all the way up through my career, even in college, I adjusted to centers. Uh, like I ah. had to change the way I placed my hands um, where they liked it, essentially, because, um, you know, I was privy to this. Centers need protection, right? They're, they're trying to snap the ball, especially under center. They're trying to snap it as hard and fast as they can. Right. And if your hands aren't in the right spot, they they could be right. inflicting some self-harm. Let's just put it that way. So self-mutilation. Uh, ant pigs, yeah, you ant gotta, pegs, nut you butter. Gotta, you got to get yourself in there, right? <laughs> um, but, you know, when you get to the NFL ranks, I think the centers are, are so experienced and so seasoned at their job and their craft that there's definitely some adjustments they can make. Um, and the job of everybody in the NFL ranks is to make the quarterback comfortable. And that's so you, you get to become a little bit of a diva when you get there. Um, you don't have to put your hands as far up uh, in the nether regions, <laughs> let's say. Uh, but it, it's still a, a relationship that has to be, you know, worked through and worked out. You, you want that to be one of those things that happens so effortlessly that nobody has to think twice about it. Caleb Herring. Former UNLV quarterback is with us getting ready for the college football season. Week zero, August 26th. Week one, September 2nd, that's when UNLV opens. I wonder as a player if you'd rather open against a supposed soft touch, you know, a 1AA, whatever they call it now, FCS team, or a big boy. I wonder coaches if they, if they want to open up big. Because I will tell you, one of the things that I think is probably a challenge, and you can tell me some of the smaller schools that – you played against early in the season. What is it like prepping against the Bryants and Southern Utahs of the world if you can't get freaking information? Everyone is so you know, freaking determined to get that info and get the edge. What if there's no edge to get? I think that's it's 80% of football is preparation, and I think that's what I learned, especially from the quarterback position, preparing for the team um, in the week prior is, is key and getting the tendencies and situational uh, things that maybe come up that you get a hint on based on your week of preparation. If you don't have a solid base of preparation, it's a little bit harder, right? Uh, there's no film out on what this coach does on third and long or what blitz they like to bring when they're trying to dial a pressure. Those things make it a little bit harder and scarier to prepare for a team. Um, so those unknown teams, smaller teams, I think on my schedule, if I could go back to my senior year, Western Illinois was one of those teams that it was kind of hard to find some information about on exactly what they did and what their tendencies were. Um, but in those situations, uh, I, I think the tendency and, and what I think Coach Odom and his staff are probably trying to do and what he even alluded to in one of the pressers after uh, fall camp practice was um, you focus on teaching your guys the right way to learn and speak football. So and in, in, in if they do come across a formation, maybe they're not familiar with the terminology that you taught them kind of kicks in and they understand what a three by one concept is versus a two by two and they can deploy their defensive scheme in that situation accordingly and same thing with the offense especially um what you run your stuff and you dictate the pace on offense so um they have to adjust to you so um i think that's what you do in those situations where you don't have film you just really hone in on the little details of of your system and your teachings to make sure that your guys are up to speed no matter what the other team throws at them um and then obviously you have to be able to coach on the fly and we've talked about it as maybe a secondary thing. Obviously, preparation is one, but adjusting to in-game situations is obviously another. There's going to be tendency breakers in any situation, and you have to be able to adjust on the fly. And to come out of the gate with a test like that, it really tests the mental fortitude, not only in a uh, overlooking maybe a lesser opponent, if that's how the outside wants to look at it. That's a mental test in and of itself. But then the ability to be aware that, hey, what we studied, what we prepared for might be completely different come game time. We have to be able to adjust on the fly. And that, I think, is a good test for a team's mental state and where they are um, as far as their maturity on the mental side. Uh, last couple things in about a minute here. We, uh, we should give a little fist bump to uh, 
everyone's pal, Hunky Cooper, Vegas legend, UNLV guy, arena football legend, back in town from San Diego State because he's doing a lot of behind-the-scenes work. So he was overseeing the uh, finish down the stretch of the second practice field and really the new turf in general. And then today we saw some giant fans wheeled in and, like, those are little things. I mean, they're actually big, but those are little things, but they are part of the program that is important that someone has to do. Yeah, and it, with the turf thing, it's, some of the differences there is, is astronomical because the new turf is is with sand base, and it's not to get the technical, rather than the rubber pellets, which yep. has a tendency not to heat up as much mm-hmm. um, as one plus. So the field isn't as hot. You know, It used to be like 20 degrees hotter on the football surface okay. than it is in actuality, which is definitely a problem in Las Vegas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, especially playing outdoors. But getting those big fans, I think they're, they're technically, I think they're like outside – uh, portable air conditioners or, or or humidifiers. I don't know how that works scientifically, but to get the temperature under the tents out at practice um, for what they call halftime during their practice, the guys go under the tents and get rehydrated, get some some watermelon, some pickles to, to help prevent um, cramps and issues like that for fatigue and heat exhaustion. And then to put those fans right there next to those tents, get the body temperatures down. And that helps the health of the players, the hydration uh, efforts are, are those kind of things for the function of football that maybe are considered behind the scenes by a lot. It's not the X's and O's, but it's just as important to getting your team to the finish line healthy and whole at the end of fall camp and, and enduring through the season. Those kind of little mechanical things or, or functional things in the background are actually vital to football program success. And we've seen things like that with the Vertita football complex and, and the new turf and those fans out there that have enhanced the experience of the football players and Hopefully the result is a better, healthier team comes Saturday nights or Saturday afternoons when they kick it off against opponents. So um, the preparation is key, and those things are go a long way. So shout out to Hunky for making those things happen. That's, that's a big deal for the program. Caleb, we're right up against it. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon, okay? All right, guys. Take care. There he is, Caleb Herring. Make sure you listen to the uh, latest UNLV All Access podcast. All right, rolling on. Reno's in ESPN. Reno, ESPN, Las Vegas. I'm all over the place. Sorry, I'm confusing everyone behind the scenes. Um, we got to get to what happened to the uh, Liberty yesterday, and the best well, team in the WNBA. You mean? Well, yeah, I meant to say what happened to the Aces, right? Uh, what happened to the Aces? The Liberty win, no, eighty-two sixty-three. What happened to the Aces? Well, you got a twenty-seven and three team that I was saying all during the early part of the season, they really need to go 36-4, and 35-5, or I'm disappointed. Well, guess who pushed back on that consistently in the first 10, 15, 20 games of the season? He's right across the way. Willie said, give it some time. Other teams are getting healthy, and they're also newer groups, so they have to blend. And we saw early in the season, it's like, ah, liberty schmiberty. <laughs> Not that good. And Willie kept saying, pump the brakes. The Aces look good now, but some teams are going to be on their heels. And, yeah, the Liberty are there. Now in two straight meetings, they smashed them. And then last night, what was the, uh, on the line for the Commissioner's Cup? Thirty grand for the winning team, each player for the winning team, Ten grand for each player on the losing team. Okay. Good I mean, chunk of change when the average salary is around 130000 that's a real good chunk. Wow. So I mean, so there couldn't have been a lack of motivation. Driven. It's definitely money. Could have been a lack of motivation. Ooh. I think that I think the Liberty. I think Sandy Brundello's figured it out. 
Who you know, she? well, the defense. She the coach. The defense, yeah, coach okay. of the Liberty. Um, well, first of all, to go back to your point about earlier this season, the one person that I said when I kept talking about New York, I kept saying was, she hasn't figured out what to do with John Quell Jones yet. Where do you put this? Two years removed from being the MVP, the star of the Connecticut Sun last year that was in the WNBA Finals. Now all of a sudden you're throwing her into a lineup with Brianna Stewart, Sabrina Ionescu, Courtney Vandersloop. Uh, what do we do with her? What? How do we use her? What's her role? How do we blend this lineup? They have figured it out, and they've also figured out how to defend the Las Vegas Aces. By the way, John Quell Jones won the MVP last night. Um, they really did ignore Kia Stokes and Alicia Gray certain times down the floor. They were just doubling up, so there was always somebody open. The problem with the Aces is they just weren't hitting their shots. And I think with with the way that the Liberty were defending them, even open looks, they were they felt under the gun, they felt pressured, they felt hurried, and they were taking them out of their rhythm. Um, I won't take credit for this, but a couple of people were just pointing it out that they saw schematically, Candace Parker is 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 missed. Uh, you know, Sam Gordon pointed it out. Uh, Sabrina from the Athletic pointed it out last night in the post game meetings. They're like. They they really do miss Candace Parker. The first meeting, Candace um, had a big game, and she adds that bigger body. When you have Brianna Stewart and John Quell Jones, two, three of the past five MVPs were won by those two people. Now you add in Sabrina Inescu from the perimeter, and let me point out. Although Alicia Clark is a stud off the bench, and although Kirsten Bell has matured. New York has a bona fide bench, so the reserve. Uh, what player? I came from. I think Marine. No, no, no. I'm me? saying, what player told you at the All Star break that Natasha Cloud that uh, the from Aces the are not unbeatable? And she said they don't have a bench. They don't. They don't rely on their bench. Natasha I got, Cloud. I got very offended. Yeah. So, oh. Yeah. Tomorrow's going to be very telling. Tomorrow is the Liberty again. Regular season game. There's two more meetings, one here, one there. Right. So, a little unraveled, the Las Vegas Aces are. And, um, I mean, let's let's face it, they're still great. They're still dominating. But part of the conversation that was brought up also, a couple of voters in there, what's next week's AP Power Rankings when they come out? If the Liberty win in any fashion tomorrow. They deserve to be the new number one team in the WNBA. But if the Liberty win three meetings in a row, yeah. and they're a couple games behind, the Aces, so what? Because they've now proven. And don't forget a loss to Dallas in there. They've been a weird matchup, haven't they? Right? Dallas is a good team. Hmm. All right. So the uh, the boring season has suddenly got real interesting, huh? Right, it we have, we have uh, one of the company members, Adam Hill, who said the uh, basically the rest of the league stinks and this is boring. Well, not anymore. At, Adam did and say— And it wasn't the case at the time, but not no, anymore. No, but, but let me defend Adam. He did say, let's just get right to the playoffs because they're going to get there in the end. He just didn't feel as if—he said they're going to lose some games, yes. But I, but if they— I, I'm not These predi- aren't just losing games now. Right, that's this the is, problem. This they, is one of your chief you're competitors. Getting and you're getting freaking slaughtered in yeah. these games. Yeah. Now, if I'm going to go glass half full or even overflowing, um, 
Yeah, it sucks. If you're making a hundred grand or hundred and thirty or hundred and fifty and you just missed out on a chance to get thirty thousand dollars right. as a bonus and a one off, that blows. But if I'm the coach Becky's pissed. Oh, if I'm the coach, I'm like, exactly what I needed. Right. This will never be forgotten. Not by me. Like she should be mentioning this. Like, you know, we're we're in the final third stretch of the season. This can't be happening. And I'm kind of doing coach speak here, but I'm sure she's going to use this as super intense well, ammo the rest of the way into the playoffs, too. She mentioned, I think, after the blowout loss in New York, she goes, I don't mind them getting the wheels blown off. They need that. <coughs> Excuse me. They need that from time to time. We need to be reminded that there are teams. Yeah, okay, they can- got reminded. Now what? they got reminded again. Now what? So now what? Here, here's the thing. In their first, those losses to Connecticut and New York – and Be- these aren't. Be- this isn't Becky making excuses. This is the analysts and the writers and the Willies and the Andys and whoever else is covering the team. We're all saying, well, it was the fourth game of a road trip, fourth game in seven days, da-da-da. Yeah. Well, guess what's coming up? Four-game trip through Atlanta, Chicago, Washington Mystics, hello, Natasha Cloud, the visit to the White House, oh, and then we'll stop in New York. Wow. Talk that's about a, a test of focus. That's a critical four game. And Atlanta, Chicago, Atlanta's probably going to make the playoffs. They were just they just had the number four seed for a minute there. I think that they, they they're they're on a little bit of a skid. But Chicago's battling for a playoff spot. Washington's battling for, battling for a playoff spot. It's in their house, and they're going to visit the White House. Then they got to go play the Liberty. That's a tough trip. So we got a little uh, rivalry developing with some of the players. Yeah, I I wrote about. Brianna Stewart and Asia Wilson. I, I, I wanted to find we, – we did a big package with the Sporting Tribune last night. We did a gamer. Steve Carp did something on the monetary – basically what's driving this Commissioner's Cup, especially for the players, is wanting to make that $30,000. And he caught up with Kathy Engelbert. We both did. But I wanted to do a story on why it's so good and why it's so healthy. You always hear, you know – like for instance, when there's a big quarterback showdown, right? Oh, it's not about it's not it's not me against them. There's eleven other players, ten other players on the field at the same time. There's twenty one other starters. No, but rivalries are good. And right now, with with how the peak of the WNBA, like what was our talk, Steve, in March and April? We just kept talking about it, and we just talked about it after the All Star game. Haley Van Lith, Angel Reese, right? Rivalries and these, uh, Caitlin Clark. It's very good for women's basketball that Asia Wilson and Brianna Stewart have this ongoing rivalry. Chelsea Gray in the press con- in the pregame press conference, I asked asked her as a veteran, how healthy is this to have this for the league itself? Take a little bit of the headline away from being the Aces versus the Liberty, and she said it's really good. She goes, you think about it when you're excited about a matchup. Think about the NBA, Bird Magic. Like when she said that, I didn't say it. She said it. That's arguably the best point guard in the league, the point god as they call it, right? She's comparing it to that. Not the talent level, but the rivalry itself, it draws you in and it makes you want to watch. Um, I put a graphic within my story on Stathead how close, I think over her career, Brianna Stewart outscores Wilson like 1.3. Other than that, decimal points separate their their superlatives. So it's 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 a really, it's a, it's a cool rivalry because they're in their six and seven seasons. They got about ten seasons left. It's going to be fun to watch this rivalry grow. Who would you rather have right now? 
right now. Yeah. Oh man. Oh, man. Oh. Probably Brianna Stewart. Ooh. Blasphemy. Ooh, are you going to walk into that meeting right, room tomorrow? Right yes. now, yeah. Brianna Stewart. But I think that Asia Wilson is going to end up being the better player. When it's all said and done, I think Asia Wilson – I honestly, I think Asia Wilson could go down as the greatest player of her position in WNBA history. But right now, I honestly think Bri- Brianna Stewart can do so much from everywhere. Asia Wilson is dominating in the paint, but yeah. – and Asia can hit a knockdown three, but Brianna can hit a knockdown three like Kelsey Plummer Sabrina with someone in her face. Brianna Stewart is very talented in everything she does. She's very fluid, and it comes naturally. Where Asia is just a dominating force, if that makes sense. But right now, the complete overall, I just think that Brianna's got the the small edge. By the way, Brianna Stewart minus one forty to win the MVP right now. Asia Wilson plus one is twenty five. All right. Call in right now, 364-1100, Lotus Summer of Fun. we got another week uh, with a big prize available. If you're caller 7, you qualify for four tickets to an Aviators game. And then the grand prize qualification is for this week's Summer of Fun trip, five-day Caribbean cruise from Miami, including airfare to Miami, or you can just take the cash straight up. Take the trip or take the cash thanks to uh, Gettle Air Conditioning and Plumbing. Caller 7, 364-1100, a five-day Caribbean cruise. From Miami with the airfare. Come on! What a prize from Lotus. 364-1100. I'm going to tell you right now, if there's a uh, National Magic Day, I'm down with it. Today's National Brat Day. By the way, I heard the the magic stuff on yesterday's show. Don't. There's one guy in this crew, you know, God love him, Adam Hill, but man... He can he can rain on everyone's parade, and he didn't like the magician that was in Hard Knocks with the Jets, and he just said magicians in general are stupid. So, just a real and, and I think suggested you that you have to be stupid to yes. like magicians, which I guess I'm stupid because I I didn't particularly enjoy what was the guy's name O's. I didn't I didn't think that was like great on Hard Knocks, but I thought it was fine. Are you anti magician? No, he right? was a mentalist. Mentalist, you're right. Yeah. I thought it, I mean, I heard you yesterday. You're like, all right, like, do I buy everything is happening, like, f- from some supernatural force? No, but I want to know how he does it. Like, I think it's cool that he does it. Like, I don't know how he, like, you know, think of a number. All right, here it is. Oh, my God. Like, I don't know how he does that. I dig cart tricks. Did you? I dig cart tricks. Oh, dig. Okay. Dig. Yeah. I yeah. dig cart tricks. Yeah. I don't know why he's got to be a hater on that. Is, is there anyone? Who, well, yeah, I, kn- I do know a lot of people who are anti-sausage, hot dog, and bratwurst. I mean, you're a pretty healthy eater now, so you you have not you've not moved away from the sausage, right? Come on, you like no, sausage? I love sausage, yeah. and and the, that place that I get my meat up in North Dakota, yeah. they make all natural, no nitrites uh, beef hot dogs, right? And so, there's, so, there's, so they throw they throw that in for me in my package. There's crazy sausage concoctions now. Yeah, that if you're worried about healthy food, um, no. <laughs> which you, you, if you're gonna, if you're gonna, do, but there are, there are there are sausages that are healthier I'm than the past. That, no, I, I I'm not I gonna lie. I, I have gotten I have gotten went and got ground like. Italian turkey sausage and to, to make a base like a fat, like I made a big pot of sauce to jar up some sauces because you know I don't oh, buy jarred sauces. Oh boy! The other day, yeah, you missed a whole sauce. You missed a whole sauce conversation last week, and I referenced you multiple times. 
Because JVT was talking about there is one jarred sauce that people love, and it just got bought by Campbell's, so they're freaking out that they're going to change the recipe, and then JVT asked me if I'm anti-jarred sauce guy, and I'm like, no, not me, but yes, Willie is anti-sauce guy, or anti-jarred sauce guy. He but makes that, his but own. That, but that doesn't, but see, that doesn't make people that like jarred sauce bad. It just means I just don't, pref- I just prefer to make my own. Right. I just pre- prefer to do what just, I do I'm to my sauce. I'm and lazy. That's it. Yeah, I mean, time. I just find a day where I have all day to sit. You know, if exactly, I'm going to be at home, exactly what I said. Yeah, I'm going to be at home. I get, I get the, get the first, get the bone and the marrow, and then I get the, everything. And you sit there and braise the meat, get all the drippings, and then the wine, and deglaze it, and then add everything to it, and build up the sauce. So you got a big pot of sauce, and then you finish because you brown to get the drippings. You brown the sausage and you brown the meatballs, and you pull it out. You get your sauce going, and then you the finish. Sauce. The meatballs and the and the sausage in there, so the drippings get in. Now I just have to jar it up and airtight it, but that way I have four or five jars. But now here's the thing: the base for mine is a very very bland canned puree that I think you can probably use it as sauce, but I don't. I just use it. But it's a basic traditional tomato. I think it's puree or something, but it. I think people may probably use it, but that's my base. Will anyone here go out of their way to get a brat today on National Brat Day? <laughs> I think there's some in the freezer at home, maybe. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, look at you. Okay. I will not. I like I like sausages over brats. Italian sausage. Yeah, yeah. I like I like sausage and peppers. Yeah. Where I went uh, when I went away. We I know, I'm not we, anti-brat. We didn't. No, neither am I. I'd rather I, have a kielbasa. I don't. Now, I'm not a big a fan yeah. of the brats that have cheese in it. I that, have some of those that are built in. I'm just not a fan of I it. Have, uh, I have some I'd people come over own. for cookouts and they they seem to go gaga for those. So I get them the cheddar worst. I'd rather just put my own on it. I know. But I um, now, do you boil yours in beer like no, people do? No, I, you do well, all I that? should. I no, I don't do it. I know. I, know. I would just. I, I'm. I'm more of a skillet or a grill guy. If I'm going to do my sausage and peppers, you got to. You know, you got to have the blackstone or some kind of flat top. So you. Yeah, this might. This might motivate me now. This might motivate me. This could maybe it will be a brat night. It'll just be for me though. That's the problem. No one else in the house eats this stuff. You know, I'm an animal. It's Cofield and Company live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. All right, we're gonna go behind the patch. Little Raiders here. Little soccer. Very little, little league. Adam Hill, why were you not given the assignment to go cover uh, Hendo Little League? It's Raider season. Um, little league's bigger. Uh, yeah, so you have a columnist there. But you're the 2022 Nevada Sports Writer of the Year. You're bigger than a columnist. Uh, that's fine. But I'm I'm covering the Raiders right now, and also I'm covering the Saints tomorrow. So. Uh, a lot of busyness this week. The Saints are bigger than Henderson Little League. Uh, yeah, to me. Well, it's, not, it's not just you. It's what the public wants. Yeah, we're, I mean, the, the traffic's doing really well. People are interested in reading it. So I, I I'm figured. Glad, I'm glad that out there. I'm glad Ed is out there uh, providing that coverage. I I I know the background on the the coverage scheme and the clicks i'm oh, curious oh do tell no i'm just saying give the secrets no i'm just saying what drives okay. beats and so on and so forth i am curious based on the mountain ridge run and now with this one where do does are there a lot of clicks for this 
Uh, yeah, it's doing pretty well. It did really well last time, obviously, because they won. Yeah. Um, I don't think anybody has that high of expectations for this team, especially after today. So Oof, That kid was um, amazing. So I don't think it's going to be the same. Yeah. 15 strikeouts for that kid from uh, Rhode yeah. Island. Yeah. What is he, like, that little, was some, little, little Adam Hill fully grown at 12? The, the yeah. biggest, uh, biggest long shot in the field, and they, uh, Nevada lost to them, so not a good start. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, who won the fight between Max Crosby and Cam Akers? Akers, I think, is a big dog in that one. Yeah, it sounds like Max Crosby uh, did it, but um, you know there was a purpose. I think certainly behind what Max Crosby was doing, the Raiders weren't playing well, and he decided to uh, try to inspire them and motivate them and energize them a little bit, and maybe he just wanted to take the rest of the day off. I'd, okay. It, it, has a video surface yet? Uh, no, nah, I've not seen it. Me neither. I haven't checked I think it, out. it. I think it was non-shooting period. So I was at a meeting, and then I and I had to make a stop, and I get in the car, and. Per usual, as I'm letting the car warm up, I'm just scrolling through Twitter, and I see all this, and I was like, holy, what the heck? On the way to the studio, so every red light, and I'm going, but I can't see anything. All I see is big brawl, Max Crosby. So, of course, what do I do? I get on the text line, and I text. I was like, yo, man, you good? And he he texts him back. He was like, yeah, why? And I was like, uh, well, I'm scrolling and all I see is big brawl, Max Crosby involved. So I was just, all I'm doing is just checking because I haven't had a chance to read it. And he just was, all of a sudden I got a barrage of texts with pictures and, and laughing. And he, so it sounded like I was like, oh, okay, well, I don't even need to read now. I, I kind of got the firsthand story, you know, so and he basically said the same thing he said in the scrum that I'm just doing what I do. Yeah, I mean, look, that's how he practices. We see it every day. That's how, that's how he hits, you know, pads. That's how he hits uh, sleds. Whatever he does, he's going after it. And um, yeah, it sounds like there was some uh, extracurricular going after the ball after a play, and uh, Cam Akers didn't like it, and so he kind of fought back. But um, I don't think Max had any problem fighting because he he knew that the team needed some kind of jolt of energy today, and I don't think he got it because they, after a pretty terrible practice, they played pretty well at the end. Adam, between uh, today's joint practice, the uh, the pair against the Niners, and then the uh, preseason game against the Niners, is there a unit that has surprised you? Could it be the defensive line? Is it a different unit that has actually stepped up pretty well? I mean, I think I think a lot of focus has been on the defensive backfield, and and that's where uh, a lot of people have looked. I mean, look, they they did very very well against the Forty ers Now, what was the reason for that? I mean, the Brock Purdy was horrific in the joint practices. Uh, Trey Lance was even worse in the preseason game, so uh, I don't want to take a whole lot of that. Then their one interception for the Raiders came on a perfect pass to the receiver's chest that he dropped and bounced in the air. So uh, you don't want to give them too much credit for that, but they, they did a great job forcing turnovers. Now, today, not necessarily their best ever, but I think you're going to see that, some inconsistency. But look, this is a team that has not forced turnovers at all the last couple of years. They've not intercepted passes at all. They've been in the bottom three of the league in those categories uh, the last couple of seasons, so um, if they are able to be a little bit more aggressive and, and cause some turnovers, I think that'll help the offense quite a bit. And uh, there's been a lot of focus there, and I think they've they've played pretty well for the most part. So we saw what Aiden O'Connell does in that game, um, and many many of you guys, because you know I haven't been out to the facility, but many of you guys are saying how Hoyer has looked the best out of everybody. Now, does he sort of feel the pressure? I mean, can, it, it can only really get better from this. If he's looked the best, um, what kind of pressure do you think he's feeling? Um, I'm not sure really how much. I mean, look, I think the question 
for the Raiders becomes if if a backup quarterback has to play, and with Jimmy Garoppolo, you figure at some point probably you're going to see a backup quarterback in some capacity. Um, if a backup quarterback has to play, are you in contention? Are you trying to win? Are you trying to salvage the season? Are you trying to play for the future? Um, so I think the only pressure he would feel is at what point of the season does it happen and what is the record at the time? Because if they're out of it and there's no reason to try to fight and scrape and call and win games, then I'd imagine it'd be Aiden O'Connell that would come in. And if they're trying to be, you know, competitive and, and hope to salvage some sort of a playoff spot, then uh, I would imagine it's Brian Hoyer. So that's that's the pressure you'd feel is how the team prepares, how the team is performing, what is their record uh, when a backup quarterback does have to play. Part of the company, Adam Hill, of course, covering the Raiders for the RJ, the 2022 Nevada Sports Writer of the Year. What would you tell fans who are very jacked up right now about what they've seen so far from Aiden O'Connell? No, serious? Yes. Um, I would say stop watching preseason games. That, that's what I would tell them. Honestly, I mean, I get it. Like people, people, people love to to overreact. And I, my favorite thing in the world is people before preseason games are like, "It's just preseason. Don't read into it. It's just preseason." Oh my god, he was good. Like, oh, okay, settle down. Nobody's scheming. And in fact, uh, if you listen to JVT and his philosophy yesterday, his theory, I don't think it's that completely crazy that one team schemed for the preseason game and the other team didn't. And it certainly did look that way, right. right? I mean, the Raiders sat there with wide open receivers all over the field and just picked picked them apart. It just dropped in passes. Now, look, Aiden O'Connell did everything they asked him to do. He was fine, but he wasn't picking up. You know, he wasn't picking up comp- complex blitz schemes, and uh, he wasn't he wasn't getting mixed coverages or disguise coverages on the defense. It was you know vanilla defenses, and he was just standing up there and running their sets and getting guys wide open and hitting them. Um, in fact, his best throw of the day was an incompletion. So yep. that's uh, that's kind of how uh, how you look at preseason games and how you judge them. And I think you went into that game saying, "Hey, you hope that Aiden O'Connell doesn't." freak out in the moment and he didn't and that was good that was fine but i uh, if you're looking at that saying we've really got something here you have no idea none no it's there's zero that you can base uh in a preseason game I, I we were making the point yesterday uh, and i'll say it again i i don't care if a quarterback goes 100 for 100 for 18 million yards uh, I don't think you can do anything positive in a preseason game. You can only show negative. You can only judge somebody if they are a disaster. You can't do anything positive in the preseason. So you wouldn't laugh at Niners fans who are really worried about Purdy or Lance? Oh, I would. I mean, those are that's practice stuff that's been going on all off season. Like that's totally different. I, and and I think the joint practices are a much better indication of where guys are than uh, preseason games. Now, it's tough to see exactly what's going on as we've documented in the joint practices because we're kind of hidden, but it was very clear there was a lot of turnovers and, and the the plays that, were, were, that we were able to see, there was a lot of inconsistencies, a lot of balls that were way off, a, a lot of a lot of trouble uh, from all the quarterbacks in that system. In fact, I think uh, just like we saw in the preseason game, I thought Sam Darnold's arm looked the best of everyone. Uh, I thought that was kind of the point in, uh, in joint practices as well. Um, I'd be worried not because of, well, you know, we didn't see Purdy in the preseason game, but I'd be worried more about how the practices have gone and uh, everything that we've heard out of 49ers camp than I would anything in a preseason game. Talking to Adam Hill from the Review Journal and, of course, part of the company. So they activate Tyree Wilson. He's healthy. I saw some videos of him working uh, against the blocking dummy 
that that's got to be a good thing. Obviously, they got two more preseasons than the than the bye week between the final preseason and the regular season. But it, I mean, he looked like he was full speed. Yeah, I mean, look, he's, he's just getting on the field. And I think they they were pretty clear that they're going to try to manage uh, what he's doing. But any appearance on the field, I think, is a very very positive sign. For the Raiders, I mean, look, the the reports were out around the draft that he might not play at all this year. Uh, one report that he might never play in his career. Um, there was a report, you know, a couple weeks ago that they might we might not see him until well into the regular season. So um, I think just the fact that he's out on the field, the fact that the team has been pushing back against those reports, they've been insistent that he be on the field, and and he was today, and so. Um, I'd, I'd imagine that there's going to be some days in the next couple that he misses practice and doesn't practice, and uh, they're kind of managing uh, how he's you know going through reps and uh, how much work he's actually getting. But uh, just being on the field, being active, passing the physical, those are all big, big steps for Tyree. Adam Hill is with us. So you're going on the road. You're going on the road for what? To L.A.? Uh, Saints, Chargers the next two days, and then uh, go to the Raiders game on Saturday. Okay, you got the you got the one on one with Derek set up. Uh, we will see. We'll see who how he chooses to handle media. I imagine uh, that I'll be there on my own tomorrow in terms of Raiders media, and then Friday there will be a big, big swarm of Raiders media uh, down at the uh, Chargers practice. That's kind of why I'm going a day early uh, to get ahead of it, if possible. Uh, but Friday is an off day for the Raiders, so I think all the other Raiders people will be there Friday, and I'll try to be there on Thursday. Will you wear a UNLV hat so he? Of course, can that's bring, a connection. That's a connection. That's you a connection with those two. Yeah, of course, yeah. of course, it's his favorite thing. So why not go troll him a little bit? Yeah. Okay. Uh, before we get you out of here, I got to. Well, what should I do here? Do I want to do a? Yeah, you know what? I want to do a soccer point. Actually, Demond wants to do a soccer point. I was going to mention something else, but we'll hit that. Vladko in, in the five o'clock hour. No, oh. no. About, I, I just finished watching the uh, Man City Sevilla game. It was great. The, the uh, Super Cup final was awesome. Now he, uh, Demond, has been wanting to talk about Messi and kind of playing in a, a league of bums. <laughs> it's, it's a little unfair. That's what it's saying. You know, if we make the jokes, ah, man, Will Chamberlain. You know, he played against plumbers. Michael Jordan in the early '80s. Those guys, you know, had second jobs on the side. That's what it's looking like with Messi out there. Am I wrong? Uh, not, not really, because that's kind of what it looks like, but, like, let's not pretend, like, Messi was, like, a five-goal-a-game guy in Europe, and now he's, you know, scoring the way that he's scoring. Like, this is what he does, right? I mean, this is, this is how he's been. It's just kind of been out of the public eye a little bit, and, um, yeah, he's amazing. He's unbelievable. He's also playing completely, you know, with a bunch of guys that are completely overmatched. Um, it's create a player, uh, in Madden, basically, just dropping in an all-99 guy. Uh, to, to your roster, but um, it's fun, and I think the whole point is he comes over, he has success, he gets paid, paves the way for other guys on that level to come over and play. I think that's the hope that they have, but for right now, he's just going to continue to dominate. But it's not fun if they never lose. If they just if they just run the table the yep. rest of the season. Whoa, whoa, feels whoa. Like the aces. It feels like the aces. Whoa, somebody's agreeing with me finally. Early, early like in it. the season. Early in the season. Well, I'm, ag- I'm agreeing with you? Yeah, this is my point about the aces. I've got to change my entire take. If me and you are on the same side of the fence, I need to jump back over. Yes. Here's a side question. What did you need a picture of my outfit from Monday for yesterday? Oh, there were some people that were uh, saying that they uh, had heard it, had heard the discussion, and wanted to see exactly what you were wearing. And then when they got it, they said, oh, you didn't make fun of them enough. 
What? Okay. What was that? Yesterday's <laughs> outfit? No, Monday's outfit. Two days. Oh, two days ago. Get him out of here. Okay. Get him out of here. And again, again, we'll be clear. Nobody cares about anybody's outfit. It will never, ever be mentioned. But me and JVT walked into the studio, and you made this bold announcement about how great your clothes were. And it was a ridiculous proclamation. I just, I don't think. I don't know. I get your point that he was looking for admiration on the outfit, but. You two are the last ones to be grading anyone else's clothes. Uh, that's what we said, of course. But why would we walk in and he starts loudly to look how great my clothes are? The, right, he, the 12 year old at the front too. desk said it was great. Right. We got to run. We'll see you later. We appreciate it. Have fun in LA. See you guys.